एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं टेक्नोलॉजी Traditionally, replacing humans with robots in factories has always been an expensive and lengthy process. In fact, Tesla blamed the robotics in their factory for production delays. But thanks to the work done by Gokul and Nikhil, the co-founders of Sinlar, this may no longer be true. They're building the next generation of factory robots that would change the manufacturing landscape in ways that we can't even imagine today. Listen to this fascinating, mind-boggling conversation between the founders of Sinlar and akshaydat about a future in which robots with intelligent vision fundamentally alter the business landscape so even without having a very solid product goal or a or a business goal in mind uh, gokul and i took the step of leaving our jobs at ni in 2015 uh, while at ni we had already identified that there were a lot of customers wanting to solve their automation challenges in manufacturing plants using machine vision but were terribly failing and i had and i had 10 problems and i would succeed in 3 7 and i would fail right so we knew that there were the seven customers uh, or seven customer use cases that were unsolved so uh, you quit your job to be uh, consultants the, the goal of doing consultancy was essentially to discover what could be a use case for this insight which gokul had and how did you get these uh, consulting assignments and you know like were they like well paying assignment yeah so uh, uh, so when we were in ni itself we kind of recognized that uh, there were a lot of customer use cases where the customer wanted a solution uh, but the available technology in machine vision uh, uh, was limited technology would kind of uh, more or less unsolved uh so we had the opportunity to kind of cherry pick some of these previously unsolved problems from customers uh we and the customers already trusted you because you were interacting with them as part of ti uh like we we also did our own efforts as well so we got a few uh few of our existing relationships so i found a project in g for instance uh hmm. that i was working with and gokul was working hmm. with uh, one of the uh largest uh, grain milling equipment manufacturers in india while we were in ni and then he was able to kind of convert that into a consulting project as well uh, we got some leads from other manufacturing customers all of them the goal was for us to identify what are all the use cases where machine vision can play a role machine vision can play a role in physical interaction some kind of manipulating objects in, uh, in the world uh and then we uh, let ourselves discover what kind of use cases will get paid for what kind of use cases customer want to be solved really uh, really badly really immediately uh, and over the next 3 uh, years we ended up developing and delivering over 30 previously unsolved custom machine vision and robotics projects okay and it turned out that a majority of these use cases came from discrete manufacturing automation right so wherever there is a certain set of objects being put together 
and you need to automate that task. Uh, today, it was extremely challenging for for manufacturers to do that, and that's where we got most of our use cases. So, uh, uh, what does the word uh, discrete mean here? Discrete manufacturing is uh, any manufacturing process where individual components have to be handled, put together. Uh, automotive manufacturing, for instance, is uh, an example of discrete manufacturing. You have about ten thousand discrete parts uh, that go into a car, each of the metallic parts or plastic parts or glass parts, and each of these has to be picked, oriented in place. Right? Uh, process manufacturing is something like petrochemicals and cement manufacturing, where uh, where you don't have these discretized units where it needs to handle. Most of that is already mechanically automated uh, because you don't have to really individually handle any components you can put them in containers and the containers can be standardized that is when you come to discrete manufacturing uh, the car models keep changing the parts that you're handling keep changing um, smartphone manufacturing for instance every 12 months every 18 months you get a new set of parts to be manufactured and assembled in all of these use cases uh, it was extremely challenging uh, to deploy robots as they existed today because robots inherently are blind they can't see where these objects are and for you to really get that robot to automate something that otherwise is fairly simple for human beings is super challenging uh, and we found these use cases uh, through the projects that we did and while doing these projects we were largely relying on off the shelf hardware but putting those off the shelf hardware together on a case to case basis using our fundamental approaches uh, that differed from how the machine vision world or computer vision world otherwise dealt with it and we were able to achieve a 100% success rate in every attempt that we did every project that we took up and that's when we were able to kind of validate that our approaches were strong but we still were doing this in a consulting manner we were still doing that in a customized manner relying on off the shelf hardware because of the off the shelf hardware was built for identification did not have the abilities like convergence and order focus that we really wanted and therefore through this process we were also able to go ahead and identify and articulate what is the hardware product that we had to build to universalize this or generalize this all together and that uh, definition came to shape uh, by early 2019 uh, for us so by early 2019 we knew the exact product that we had to make uh, we knew the exact stack that we had to build both on hardware as well as software we had also identified customer use cases uh, uh, industry that was uh, itching to have this problem solved uh, which is largely discrete manufacturing within discrete manufacturing in india automotive was the largest buyer and largest uh, uh, largest player to expect these innovations to come hmm. and with all of that uh, we were able to go ahead uh, and anyway hardware design and development uh, there is a gestation there is an entry barrier and there is a capital requirement to put together hardware from an industrial uh, quality standpoint so we identified that we had to fund ourselves uh, with some capital so uh, during these uh, like pre uh, the pre 2019 when you were still doing consulting gigs was it a two man show or did you build out a team also and uh, like what kind of revenues were you earning annually in those years Right. So uh, we largely did it as consultants. So it was uh, Google's and my time uh, only for one of the projects, which was a more product development effort that we had to do uh, for this grain sorting application. Probably we can talk a little bit about the technical aspects of that application.
nature. Uh, we got into a deal uh, with that manufacturer saying that they will hire a uh, couple of resources, we will hire a couple of resources and then go about doing the project engineering. Uh, but otherwise, it was a, uh, a two-man job and we earned enough revenues to uh, live a standard of living that, that we wanted and go about discovering the problem and discovering the landscape. So uh, we were generating uh, upwards of about 20-25 lakhs worth of just uh, consulting revenues between Gokul and me. Uh, and Monthly, you're saying? Uh, no, for the, yeah, uh, for the for the year, but uh, uh, our our purpose was like we we spent about thirty percent of our time consulting, seventy percent of our time researching and developing uh, the product aspect. So we we were very choosy, we were selective. We didn't we didn't really want to build a services business. We we never wanted to do that. Uh, our goal was to identify that uh, we will be able to solve this problem. Uh, universally and what would be the product definition, what would be the market outreach. So you can consider it as a as a sabbatical time uh, outside of NI. Uh, we wanted to search and also keep the, keep the wheels like rolling. Like a product market fit time in a way. Hmm. Right. So discovery. Actually, our, our PhD, uh, market discovery and PhD time. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> PhD. Okay. Okay. So uh, then when you had clarity on uh, what you want to build, like uh, this was like you had clarity that this is the hardware that we need. And uh, was it... Uh, specifically for this use case that in factories we need this kind of hardware or was it like something generic that we will customize it as per the use case? Like how, how detailed was your vision on what you wanted to build? And the starting, right? So uh, one thing we are very, very clear is that uh, from the articulation from the beginning is that you need something, a vision that enables the hand to be able to do things, right? And when we moved from there, these techniques, one thing we were very clear is that any nascent technology, we need to look at who is who is being profitable and who is buying a lot, right? Robotic arm is not something that we were making from scratch. We are using what it is and we are building only the intelligence layer on top of it. So if I have to sell, I need to look at the customer who is already buying a lot of robotic arms, who is, who is very convenient. And then, so we had that clarity, we always began from there, right? And to say whether, uh, we also wanted to check whether uh, are we biased by whatever the past data is? What if there are other customers who are willing to buy? So we we also tried with every other uh, customers, electronics and different different cases. Mostly it always had been uh, automotive industry which responded back with uh, their problems and because they are the ones who are already trying automation, right? So that that market in itself revealed it to us rather than we going behind something. That there is the uh, attraction that is highest for us, right? And considering that we are not sitting on a platform which is already well established and uh, moving on, it's also nascently picking up technology, right? And we had a very clear difference between a platform and a product. A technology, platform, and a product. And because at a platform level, if you are selling at a platform level, you always need a solution engineering on top of it, right? If it's a product, then at least, okay, so some service and support will be enough, but uh, that solution engineering might be masticulated. Plug and play might be uh, large, right? But most of the industrial solutions never never act like a product. They always act to be a platform, and you need to kind of integrate the device. So which the industrial system already had a network of integrators and things, and we also, we also have a structured process how to put this together and how uh, these things can do. We wanted to leverage that. Uh, that's already available. So that again also happened to be automotive, which is more conducive for us to go 
tech is, right? And they are also less, they are more forgiving for how nascent the tech is. Because we are a small startup. At the stage that we are now, we first initially put our money and we were running for the first four, three to four years. And we were doing all this and we were trying to, then we started circulating money with, with the customers that we got as consultancy. We were doing all that. And uh, in the process, we were there were a lot of opportunities that came. We said no to them, simply specifically saying, there was also tools that we were using. There were a lot of tool-based integration solutions that were also coming, right? So that also we kind of ignored a lot of control and motion-based uh, systems that came. We ignored them. And we never took mechanical as part of our integration. We always let the customer take care of that. And we were doing only from a vision and algorithm. And specifically only those applications, right? So that I'm not innovating on the business side. I'm innovating only on the tech side. And once the tech picks up, then you can go about innovating on the business side. So then again, it, that when we look from that idea, then uh, from that filter, then uh, uh, the automotive came to be the perfect solution from that case. So that's how we chose our customers. We started hmm. and and the idea was yeah. to build a platform which would be customized for each customer, and and you would and work with a, the existing ecosystem of people who do that customization. Correct. Uh, who, is the, uh, who is the existing ecosystem of people who do customization? Uh, um, oh, that is a huge ecosystem of, uh, I mean, I can't just name one specific person because... Yeah, but what type of, half like, of like, these are like consultants, basically. No, they do the whole mechanical fabrication, they do the whole uh, integration of those systems. So you have global level large giants like Actinium who are there. Uh, them and so many other companies very similar. So these are companies selling like robotic arms. No, they 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 robotic arms are sold by companies like ABB, Panok, Kuka, and all these guys. Right? So today, in fact, uh, that brings another another point. Right? If you are buying a robotic arm today, you, you will get only till the wrist. You won't get the hand. Right? You don't get the gripper. The gripper is an entirely independent industry like Shunk and all the other like $500 million and $200 million, $100 million, $10 million, $1 million companies. There are a lot of those kind of organizations which are self-grippers and most often uh, Shunk is the largest simply because they don't give you the fingers. You customize the fingers, you customize the gripper from, uh, from all of it, right? You have only the grasping technology that comes along with it, right? So that's how much, that's how far the tech is today, right? So you don't have the tech uh, that is uh, sophisticated enough, uh, uh, that's complete enough, right? So this is only till the robotic arm. So who, you can't do anything without the gripper to handle an object, right? So it's it's a system integrators who start from there onwards. Okay. Right? So system so integrators are like small uh, hardware tech kind of firms who will procure the arm from one place, the gripper from another place and the software from a third place and the cameras from a fourth place and integrate it all based on what the client needs. Okay. Okay. And for, for the vision cameras, uh, again, are there like large players who provide that or these are like off the shelf cameras? Yeah. yeah. Nothing on the size of like Iker or Sony, uh, like multi-billion dollar companies don't exist from a camera point of view, but Several hundreds of millions of dollars of companies like Bachelor and from there to like 10, 20 million dollar companies also there. Mostly they all have been uh, oh, brought under one uh, acquisition wing. Uh, today, back 10 years back, that was a lot more companies. Nowadays, there are only very specific, some 5, 10 companies at the max. 
who are standard to me and in mission vision typically you don't get the camera along with the lens lenses and optics is a separate world of company oh okay uh, okay so so there actually a lot of different vendors whose products need to be purchased individually so you need someone technical who understands what the client needs and right. then uh, creates the specs for each of these products uh, and then integrates it all together okay absolutely okay absolutely. okay and uh, you, what would be your role in this you would provide the uh, the camera tech and the software so the whole portion of the technical person who is supposed to understand what lighting has to be there how the lens what is the math behind the lens how do you choose that lens because there are like if you open a lens company like opto engineering or edmund optics right these are all big giants of uh, uh, i mean edmund optics is a giant in optics Uh, from a mission vision point of view, or or any custom, uh, there will be al- almost like thousand different lenses that will be there. Mm, right, 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 right. How do you know which lens to pick, who to put, and what combination? Based on your algorithm, you'll have to change the lens. Based on your lens, you'll have to change the algorithm. There is a cycle that keeps going on, right? And often customers cannot spend on those uh, 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 the to keep changing those hardware because our camera might actually cost more than a lakh rupee, right? The whole system might cost you anywhere between six to seven lakhs. You can't just keep experimenting on that, right? So, you're an expert who understands from a physics point of view and sets all of this together, and he's able to give those feedback. So that's that's the portion that we were doing, along with the whole uh, software architecture and also the algorithm, right? So we will design the system for them, and uh, the customer will purchase the hardware. We didn't want to. If that would have done, our revenue might have looked at much bigger. Uh, but we didn't do it that way. We just because we didn't. This was during your that. consulting days. You were actually like a system integrator, also. Correct. We were also the, so system integrator from the vision point of view, where mostly no the system integration usually there will be another uh, company, right? So we had partners like Sasyata. We had partners like Centrix uh, 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 and uh, some organizations had in-house capacity to in- integrate, like Sandra, one of the customers. Had their own in-house capacity to integrate and all. But, but what did you want to create? Like you know, when you started Sinler and uh, you you want what did you want to create here? After funding, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. When we started in 2019, August, yeah. When we started, so out of these experiments, we kind of very clearly realized that hey, our approach works because the method by which I said this lens has to be put, the method by which this camera has to be put, the method by which whether you have to turn this way or this way to get the data, right? So all these were all kind of fixed, right? So and we were never having. And how did we test that? We were never adjusting the system there, right? We just designed everything on the paper, and then we just put there, and it just worked in one shot, right? So the moment that was happening, then we were very confident that it's. I have understood the way I am thinking about the problem, and then we also have understood the fundamental layers of tech, what is needed to be built, right? But we didn't have an universal hardware which is capable of doing all these adjustments by itself and figuring out. How I was able to figure out that hey, this coin you need to put it this way and then look at it from this angle, right? That's because I was able to understand and then get it to the point, right? This intelligence needs to be fed to a device, and the device must be capable of doing all this by itself, right? So that ability was not there. There was no hardware that is available which was there at that point, right? So we need to build that fundamental layer of tech first from a hardware angle, that in synergy with whatever the software approach that we had, right? And then layers of information that our brain uses to Understand all this. Some places depth, some places reflection of light, some places just on color. All these things that it is able to make a combination, make a model around it. And the ability to build that model for a system by itself is something also something that we have to build, right? 
So that's what we want to do. Only then it can standardize this business. Else, every time we are custom engineering, if you are custom engineering, it's very manual. very manual line and it's not replicable so so you wanted to create like a standard uh, kit of uh, lens and uh, camera and uh, maybe a light source also in that light agnostic mostly light okay agnostic. okay okay but like lens camera and software like like this whole thing in a standardized kit and then that kit can just get attached to uh, the robotic arms which system integrators okay. are creating for these companies okay, anyway. okay. and uh, what we are going one step further that we want to do is we didn't want to just keep it as an camera that is just attachable to any uh, uh, robotic arm when we make a final solution at the end of the day the customer today it uh, has a nice statistics where uh, he brings out uh, uh, every time right so this is a 48 billion dollar industry robotic arms today are out of which just 30% uh, amounting to almost 16 billion dollars of uh, money is just only for robotic arms right rest of the 70% of the money is only for customization right and it's not organized Every time it's a new system. Every time it's a new system. Even replications don't happen as a replicable system, right? And they go through six months, seven months of stabilizing the hardware design and everything, right? So we, the why are we doing all the customization? Because today a robotic arm goes to one location. You just teach them go to this location. Then you have a gripper which you have customized and put such that if there was an object present already in this orientation, it just simply attached to it, right? Go to another position. And then release it. When you release it, it just falls. The way it falls is the expected orientation that you wanted. So this is the engineering contraption that they are building uh, that will not fail, ever, right? So that's how they are doing. This design takes an infinite amount of time usually, right? A heavy amount of time for all of these guys, right? And this customization changes all of the system that you built. How do you bring the object to this position in that expected orientation so that your gripper is not touching this portion but it is touching this portion, right? So that contraption that they build in conveying system and presentation system is the majority cost today, right? That's the seventy percent of the cost, and it's entirely customized, right? And the second problem is the robotic arm is twenty micrometer precise. Most of the cases, it's twenty micrometer to hundred micrometer precise, right? Which means you come to this position and then go to that position for next five years, it will keep continuing in the same position in that position, right? Some calibration in between here and there, but it will keep doing that, right? Which which means If your object, if I'm, I'm making my gripper come like this, and then if my object is slightly away, it will fall on the right. Object. Yeah, it will fail. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. You also have to present the object at that point one mm of accuracy. So to bring your, it's it's easy to just present it, but if you have to present it at point one accuracy, one mm it's much easier. Point one it becomes harder. Sixty micrometer, fifty micrometer is extremely hard, right? So that's when this that's when the system is able to succeed, right? This again is a problem that uh, that's where this seventy percent of the cost is going. That that difficulty of it. Right? This we could simply standardize. A human being, on the other hand, you'll just look at it. He doesn't need the hand to be that precise. He'll come here and then he'll adjust. Yeah, he'll adjust the hand, right, right, right. Adjust the hand, and then and then oh, you want to place it because it's blind. You are expecting it to twenty micrometer precise, but otherwise you have a you have a shape into which it is supposed to go fit, right? You'll just place ten times and you'll figure out and then just put it inside, right? Adjust yourself and then you'll put it. The more you train yourself, you will become one shot until you will start going and putting it right as it slowly goes. And the ability for the system to be more dynamic and then put it will remove all this customized structuring that is needed, right? So when I am able to put this camera and then make the system learn, anyway to move the camera, I need the robotic arm. 
because I need to do all this, right? So the same system can also double into a panoply system also, and then you are able to do give a packaged solution to a customer, and customer can buy it like a laptop today, right? Variety of objects we had, variety of different uh, devices to handle them. Just like we had variety of data in 1970s, you had a typewriter, you had uh, you had your calendar, you had your movie, sorry, theater and TV, you know. Everything has become just one laptop today. All this variety of data is able to right? the standardization of circuits that they did into a CPU, arithmetic and logic unit, is what our next big vision is. That's what you want to do in this uh, whole thing, right? When I have my robotic arm as a standardized unit between different objects, different orientation, and different tasks that you do, right? People can start replicating more quickly, and it makes the line more universal. That you could repurpose the line for something else. Rather than having to change the whole line every time, even if a small dimension changes today, right? Uh, In a way, like Microsoft giving Windows to the hardware well, companies. Hardware company. Uh, okay, right. okay. Right. So, so you want to be? Exactly, you got it exactly. Uh, what uh, you want basically, you you're looking to build the operating system for manufacturing automation. You can actually. Uh, that's what the eventual. I think the the screen we all have this one vision map, and that's the. Universal factory and an operating system for a factory. You want to change something, you don't go about changing the hardware or recircuiting the whole uh, factory because it's just a circuit. It's just moving the objects here and there, right? So two processing units, right? Instead, can we reprogram and then change the whole factory? So, like, did you first raise yeah. funds, or like, you know, tell me the journeys? Right. So, uh, so we basically launched uh, Signler in August 2019, along with. And what? Signing. What's about? The, I mean, why this name Signler? It's not a very easy name. <laughs> Signler is short for Cybernetics Laboratories. Cybernetics. Ah, okay. So it's uh, it's a it's a short form of Cybernetics Laboratories. And, uh, cybernetics is something that we, as a philosophy and as a science, we subscribe to in everything that we do on the tech. And so we launched Signler in August 2019 along with a seed round of funding. Uh, it was about a 750,000 US dollars seed round of funding raised from some deep tech VCs uh, based out of India. Uh, How did you uh, navigate that? Because I mean, you had no idea of fundraise and all of that stuff, no? Like. Uh, uh, we did have an idea. I mean, at least... Nickel uh, uh, from the startup. Yeah, so, uh, my friends from Pilani have raised uh, a lot more money than I can imagine raising in the near future. Uh, very close friends. Uh, uh, batchmates, uh, one or two years, three years. Uh, I also came from the entrepreneurial network. So, uh, our, in fact, our problem was not access to the VC network. Our problem largely uh, rested on the fact that our problem and our... Uh, company was not within the typical VC landscape, right? Where if you people really understand the deep tech models, you, you have no app, <laughs> <laughs> right? So you have to your thesis, an app. Your thesis doesn't fit our problem, basically. Therefore, although we did have access to uh, most of the top tier VCs, uh, we was there was a bit of a struggle with respect to articulating the value proposition and getting the recognition. Uh, if we had attempted to raise money uh, when we left our jobs at NI, it would have been extremely difficult. But thankfully, between 2015 and 2019, when we raised, there was also a significant amount of uh, churning that was happening within the VC ecosystem, not at the uh, top tier, but at least at the seed stage, uh, where there was recognition for the uh, opportunities around solving for deep tech problems, uh, very fundamental is that will have 
an IP value and a value of building business use cases in the future. Uh, that and then the IP ends up becoming your significant moat. Uh, these are going to be uh, companies where it's going to be significantly difficult for somebody to come and compete with you. Uh, if you have done ten years of very fundamental personal research on this, uh, you can't really reverse engineer that in three months. You'll have to go through. A lot of experiences that we have gone through. So there were a few, uh, uh, few uh, players uh, in the market at a seed stage who had started recognizing this and looking for founders at that. And we were also, of course, like looking for them. So eventually, we found each other. Uh, so it, it took much longer than what it would typically take uh, for us to close a round of funding. Uh, we uh, we began uh, mapping we that ecosystem. Kind of also needed a very uh, strong deep tech. People who understood the time investment hmm. to deep tech. Right, right. You need a patient so, investor. We needed a more than the patient investor. We also needed someone who understands and who 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 want, who made the thesis as something that is very specific. The current set of investors, especially the one who led, where where where, if you look at the history of their investments, that will all be like our organizations, right? So they had that very strong conviction to put that money. Uh, Speciale and Arali and Growex and all of these guys. So uh, there are not many competitors who are exactly looking these and and that's another issue. In India, this is a very limited space and uh, you have a lot of ground robot uh, systems, but we don't have many of these robotic arm based uh, organizations. Either it'll be robotic arm improvisation. They're not people who are following this pick oriented place or random bit picking kind of problem, right? On the other hand, across in US and other places, this is a much larger problem that everybody wants to solve than in India. So, so that's that's also another problem where uh, VCs are not aware of information. Half the times we spend more educating than rather than, and, and we don't have a platform to also often talk. So, this uh, seven hundred fifty thousand that you raised, uh, what did you build with that? Sure. So, uh, so like like I mentioned, in August is when we uh, we got that cash uh, uh, with the goal of uh, August 2019. So the first goal, of course, was to crack the the hardware deficiencies on the vision aspect, and then uh, and then build out uh, the software stack along with the robotic arm and a gripper that was adaptable. Uh, and then the goal was to launch uh, something which is very dynamic, something that is visually intelligent, a robot that can learn how to manipulate a variety of objects. Currently, you are a pre-product. Like you're yeah. still building this out. Okay, yeah, almost completed. So, uh, so I mean, what happened historically is August 2019 is when we raised. Uh, then the pandemic struck, and then we were kind of out of our laboratories for a while. But we so, uh, on our feet to what we are is we have built a platform, right? With the platform, we already have started engaging with the customers to collect solution use cases. So that we know what to productize this. So it's, it's one thing to have this technology which understands motion, it's able to move it and all that. But how is someone, how is an engineer going to train it? How is the engineer going to use this to integrate into the solution? So those portions are, are also part of our next fundraise that you're also attempting to you know make it more smoother. But we already have this platform and we are testing it out with some of these customer applications and customer use cases that we actually got as a hardware that is there. I think right behind NN. Nickel, uh, there are those components that are lying there, and uh, so so we so that's what we are right, and we want to just bring it to one preliminary shape. Uh, not all applications can be handled with the current form factor that we have, but there is significant portion of uh, close to a billion dollar of opportunity just there just for the current format of the uh, robotic arm. So that's that's something that we are trying to launch. Uh, 
with uh, association with one of our customers uh in uh, imtex uh, in january uh, 2022 end of january yes yeah, sorry sorry in intex imtex imtex uh, it's asia's largest uh, machining machine and machining tool uh, okay. expo okay. that happens in Bangalore. okay okay so, okay 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 founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like spotify ghana apple podcasts and subscribe to the show and uh, so what you're launching is like a plug and play product or it will need to be further customized or like the customization also will be like say ordering a computer from Dell on the software side on the software side on the training on the software side there will be some because so there is uh, okay. uh, hardware side is completely so what we have achieved with this Santa case we have stabilized the hardware platform so you don't have to go about customizing the hardware around this device okay right? okay but this can, this can handle like a range of use cases uh, because of the intelligence around it so it can adjust itself to different kind of use cases okay so okay. the definition of the product that we're launching in january is a is a hardware platform that will scale across use cases be able to manipulate objects even from randomized bins, you can just like it can put present objects in random orientation. Uh, however, the system has to be trained for the objects that it is handling, right? So the training is a software training process, roughly a two-week training process that we will do in our facility with our robotic arm and then ship a software model or an intelligence model. And to next robot. phase, what we, are, what we think this will lead to is we would learn out of these uh, opportunities for us to see hey, these are the hiccups, hey, these are the places where you could make a much better you know, UI and tool and integration to be much more easier and these are the places your robotic arm is limiting. So this is a learning experience for us to do that solution engineering from this so that we can formulate it, refine it much further. So our next phase of uh, uh, development will be split into two portions. One, standardizing from the software point of view and uh, the next is make, coming up with more further deeper technology layers and uh, further ability which will bring more ability for the robotic comes to handle more like okay scenario. like talk to me about both of these so first one the standardizing software means that two weeks of training will come down to maybe a couple of hours of training that's what would Correct. happen in Correct. the next and that, that journey we see so our eventual thing is in four to five years time we will reach one day of training right so in fact we split them into two kinds of training one is the object model training the other is task training task training is fairly quickly achievable but object model training takes a lot more time today, right? So at least take two weeks to one, one month, right? Uh, based on object to object or task to task, right? So that we want to standardize and then shrink it down to... How, how do you uh, train? Uh, like, like uh, how does it, like you're going to train for two weeks. What will you do in that two weeks? Uh, so there are different procedures, just like a baby, right? So we are going to accelerate and then for a baby, it is learning a lot of sophisticated environment. One advantage these robots have is they are in a limited environment where they are to learn. They don't have expectation to look anywhere else. They don't have expectation to, you know, uh, pick another part or somebody comes, you know, stop them. None of those things are actually there. So how do I first then differentiate it without touching it? How do I know? Because there are a lot of shades and colors and formats that these objects have. So how do I know where to go and touch it? Where should I, if I grab, it will be, will be able to grab it. Or, or am I looking at the pattern of the wood in the, in the table as an object? Or is it uh, the whole object itself? I mean, picking the contour of the object, edge of the object, right? So those things are all tested. So it will start from there. 
surely there is some procedure for it to get and there. this so this training happens how like this is purely you sitting on a laptop and feeding it images or is it like actual no no, no. on a object okay a okay real object in front of the camera in front of the robotic arm in fact it looks at it it tastes and then it goes and touches it and then it validates oh yeah the counter that i saw is rigid the counter that i saw is not so all those things kind of it kind of will learn so, so it actually feels like watching a baby learn then like you actually see that exactly. uh, arm touching learning getting uh-huh. more confident uh-huh. each time the, the speed right. at which it yeah. happens getting uh-huh. shorter and shorter mistakes and if i turn it oh this looks like this in the other side this side it look like this so all that portion of uh, it learning will be there right now we are doing like motion sensing and these kind of things right so the way it associates force and the way it associates all that information that is there right about an object we say seven different parameters of the object that is supposed to understand and then associate them together the method of association how it is constructing depth today how it's able to utilize out of focus how it's able to utilize the convergence how how deep is it actually taking its understanding right understanding the color understanding the texture so many of those things right so those are further layers that the system has to go more deeper in learning and uh, so right now there are some small tricks that you have done here and there with auto focus and so that could be even more machine learned system that it can actually become right individual by its own ways so those are the things that we will be further for concentrating on so that this system is able to today it's able to handle rigid objects yeah right yeah yeah it cannot it cannot handle a wire it cannot handle a shirt right Can I use the system to stitch shirts because that's entirely manual. Second thing, one step before that is that's from an object handling point of view, right? There is task handling point of view also, where uh, there are tasks that you can do only with two hands. There are tasks that you can do only with one single hand. You can do even with a single hand, right? There are tasks you might need multiple fingers of a single hand, right? So there are those combinations. That product combination that you are supposed to come up with is also next phase. Uh, so customer will have a menu of options, and they can say, menu "Okay, this gripper." And okay, mm-hmm. and one robot or double robots? Is the robot upside down or is it straight? Right, so those kind of things. And uh, this will uh, like be put on a table, or like how does it get installed in a plant? So in so the that's a good question because most people don't know how robots are being installed, right? so uh, just to just for that public knowledge sake every time when a robot is been installed there is a lot of civil work that happens there right what do i mean because they have to grout it they have to put the screws because when i, I said the robotic arm is 20 micrometer precise right even if the robotic arm has shaked and then moved everything will go haywire it will go it will not work so they have to grout and put it properly with the cement and they have to prepare the the facility to put the robotic arm all that effort actually happens so here what we are doing it is because of the dynasm this system has and it can actually track its position by itself it's on it's it's actually a stand which has wheels so you can move and keep wherever you want to keep right so you don't have any of this so today it can like you can move a person from one station and then put him at another station and make him work there you can kind of move this robotic arm and then move it there the only difference is if the customer happens to have learned the object for both of this spent the two two weeks for each of those objects and spent another two weeks for all this uh, you know manipulation and everything he has a model with him he can just port the model and then move the robotic arm to the new position and then just ask him to start working on it right so that's the, that's the sequence that uh, 
that's how we are actually deploying the robotics what happens if the uh, object is slightly changed say you know like things get smaller and smaller you know look, suppose it was manufacturing a phone and the chip became a little smaller then would it need to be trained smaller. again yeah. Yeah, that's interesting so um, often when the geometry changes so, so the same effect this is another fallacy that most of the ai and ml systems have to be zooming in and zooming out of an object right without standardizing to it is much harder for most of us to learn at the same pattern that i'm looking at what is the pattern that i'm actually right so with the same effect as an object being approached close by or an approach an object being uh, uh, smaller in the same distance right this guy can replicate most of the designs as it is right so he is not a precise machine it's not an arithmetic machine which is so precisely written an equation and then it says go precisely here and then touch it here if it's point to mm lesser then this fellow will just simply the object will not mate with the with the gripper right it's not like that this guy doesn't even know how much it is he gets an approximation and uses his sensing some way to again calculate and then understand oh this is the depth and this is the amount this is how much i'm supposed to grab and all that right is dynamic enough right so as long as the shape doesn't change dimension of the shape shape remains uh, can change but the shape doesn't change the features don't change if i rotate them in different the aspect different ratio is the same basically same aspect ratio is same basically if it becomes too small for the fingers then it's a finger problem then it's a customization that it triggers a customization in that case right there's a range within which this guy can operate right so i have the thickness and the width of my finger within which if it's manipulatable by a human being this is also manipulatable by a robot a human being needs a gear he can hand they pick it in his hand but a watch gear he needs a, a tweezer to put it in time right if if the watch is some both are same exact looking warm gears or whatever right so that is planetary gears or whatever right so in that case this also will need a tool or where the tool doesn't have to be detached from the hand it can be attached the finger itself can be translated into the tweezer and then you can do that so that that change might happen to a certain extent but whatever there is handleable within a finger through fingers whatever there is there all those shapes are also handleable by the robotic arm okay and uh, is there a difference in the uh, setting of the software while you are training and while it is on the floor for example when you are in the training mode does it have more autonomy can it do more experiments and make more mistakes and when it goes to the factory then the autonomy is reduced because you don't want it to do too many experiments like does something like that happen yeah the the whole training software is entirely different the deployment is entirely different, right the sequence of training is largely irrelevant at the moment it just goes there right and we can put that there but the sequence may not the industry may not be the same environment of sequence of training that we gave like i would have given a black table and I would have put the part, or I customized the scenario for it, or whatever that I might have done. Case part to part, whatever that I might have done. So those are not the same scenario in which you are actually picking the part, or you are actually operating on the part, right? So often that deployment is very different. That's mostly from a task point of view. The, whereas the training here that is happening inside the lab is mostly from uh, object point of view, right? Understanding object point of view, right? So once you have understood the object, so let's say I have this mouse. Am I picking this mouse to move the mouse, or am I picking the mouse to wipe the mouse? Or am I picking the mouse to store it somewhere? Right? The logic will change. The 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 motion and everything will change. The environment will change for that. Right? So that's what the industry provides. Right? The 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 factory provides. Right? This what I'm doing with it is is how I'm learning. This is an entirely. I would have clumsily grasped it. I would have done this way. I would have done that way. Or dropped it a couple of times. That all is very different. Right? So that 
if the customer wants to buy and the news and then the case where we will start thinking on it but uh, mostly it will be a uh, deployment scenario is a very different uh, case for he will be able to handle it you know, yeah sorry go on it will be able to handle in very variable orientations of the same object you will know how to go precisely pick it you will not you will not his intent is not to touch and feel and then learn that object right the intent is to precisely pick it so that's how he has been deployed in the so that the algorithm also changes do you see yourself becoming more like a salesforce or more like a windows you know so like windows is like plug and play pure plug and play whereas salesforce is something in which companies employ salesforce developers who customize salesforce for them so similarly like right now you are training and sending it to the companies do you think in the long term it would become a scenario where companies just buy the product from you and then they have a whole army of developers or trainers or whatever you want to call them who actually do that last mile customization training tweaking etc our et intention is to move more stronger towards like an android and play store right or an apple and an app store right in fact that matches more because we also have hardware that we sell hmm. right so but then you know those are more. consumer products and salesforce is an enterprise product and uh, you know okay. maybe you end yeah, up being yeah. more like salesforce because of the varying needs of enterprises and the fact that enterprises may want to change stuff they don't want to then uh, come to you for every small change i'll give you one example so that's relatable right in this case right so every time i i went to let's say one customer i learned one part and then let's say a nut and bolt i have learned a bolt which is a standard bolt across different industries and different uh, customers for the bolt right the moment i learned this bolt all the robots that could be there have learned the bolt because i have that model stored in my object store right the next customer doesn't have to spend time on learning that object he can simply subscribe to that object store and then he can pick that right but why does he want to subscribe to that object store right Uh, he can either subscribe to the object store or he can subscribe to only the bolt model either of those is his choice right but so that's why we want to keep that uh, training with us the object the model is our ip also in one day right and someone else also can buy these robots and then just do uh, just set up an university where you are just simply training object models right you te- you're teaching the robots to learn the objects right so that could be one business for someone else we don't know as a platform that we can as a platform we can enable that right and they can keep uploading to the object store right and the and the customer what advantage the customer has is that similarly another customer for another bolt would have asked for system and would have trained and kept it right today the customer is enabled with both the bolts the robotic so, so he suddenly is designed says that hey, i don't want to use this bolt i want to use a little longer bolt or a thicker bolt right he doesn't have to go about redesigning everything he just goes to the object store and then says that hey i can pick this bolt and then i can just uh, right so that subscription is something that they can get into right that's a bigger picture on the second one more store also comes which is the task store that is a customer's ip right so one one simple example that like in analogy that i will again take is we have kfc franchises that are there everywhere right mcdonald's franchises that are there everywhere one who is running is someone who is here who is born and brought up here who learned to cook the way we would cook uh, indians would cook in all of this case But what is that that they have what is the kfc as franchise right its method of preparation they are tasks correct so that's beautiful right so in so the when kfc can now without having to have a brick and mortar and having to have to figure out some guy right can simply upload the task model 
in a in a law in an encrypted way right that poor has the infrastructure with this robotic arm and things a factory today anyone who has a standard infrastructure like this will be able to borrow the task model uh, from them and they get paid for their invention of a task model right and they're able to expand manufacturing service companies can expand their thing without having to actively put investment from their side right computer else can agree to you know buy all these robots and set up it and they can take the know how from these guys and these guys have an opportunity to monetize you know monetize the know how today monetization of know only happens with the cost of all the brick and mortar being put together right all the infrastructure being put together right this common taste hey i have all the capacity to run it really well but i just give me the know how right and that guy says and that guy also has a lot that that process is very slow in manufacturing uh, industry why because it is so uh, so risky for me to just put all my infrastructure on that particular know how alone right what if this doesn't work this know is not clicking with the people what do i do then right what do i do then since i have a standardized line i can choose a different know how tomorrow i can run it for two months and this is not working right for six months this is not working i can but this infrastructure is worth for next six seven years right i can keep experimenting with multiple different uh, yeah so uh, so companies instead of exporting products will start exporting their task uh, ip yeah task models yeah right. yeah yeah right. yeah so, mm. so material gets localized mm. right? right right yeah material largely gets localized mm. and only your uh, uh, task ip, IP yeah yeah right? yeah yeah so So your cargo shipment will be very different. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Wow. I mean, I, I can already visualize that world which you are living in. <laughs> How long before you think you'll open up a Westworld kind of a theme park? <laughs> if this what our next plan is that uh, if if this kind of doesn't go well, mm-hmm. you will rather go. go writing uh, science fiction movies <laughs> so that that could be a better business for us <laughs> so so what is this price that uh, what you're launching in uh, jan 2022 Right. So, right. Let yeah. so uh, the integrated robot with vision and grasping, roughly about eighty thousand dollars, would be the cost of a robot. Today, the acceptable price point uh, of a robotic arm in the market is anywhere between eighty thousand dollars to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That variability exists because each time the customization is different. So, if there is a uh, even if the task looks very similar for a human being, depending on how what that task is and what object you are uh, handling, the complexity can just explode uh, and that's the higher end which is like anything up to 150000 dollars just becomes too pricey uh, so that's the that's roughly the price point so uh, we would largely be uh, focusing on a smaller target market in india uh, where that price point is justified uh, because of the repeatability and the quality that the robotic arm automation inherently handles uh, but in a market like the us or japan or germany uh, it would be like Uh, very very aggressive pricing uh, uh, in terms of even labor costs uh, so that's where uh, we would most likely uh, price the product uh, we already have a few uh, oem engagements and end customers uh, engagements that we have in the pipeline for for next year uh, in india and we've initiated uh, some partnership conversations in the us as well 
Okay. And how many units do you think you'll sell next year? Like what's your internal? Next year would be conservative. Next year would be like our launch your product market fit and figuring out. So uh, probably about 20 systems uh, is what we will target to sell. Uh, the subsequent year, uh, we should hit uh, at least 100 systems uh, that we want to deploy. Mm-hmm. Because by then customers would start telling each other, and there would be there would be stuff for you to show productivity improvement. The existing or, customers, the existing customers itself are a deep uh, pipeline of opportunity. Actually, right? So mostly, uh, this addressing is all mostly the pilots that we are going to sell to them, right? And the follow-on is going to be for the replication of those systems that's going to come. So that's the sequence uh, by which this hundred number 10 to 100 so actually zero uh, one and then 10 right so uh, we already have like we have identified at least 200 physical locations where the robot can be used and a customer will see value Uh, we have been there we've seen it customer will invest and buy Uh, but we will take 10 percent of that and deploy that in the first year Uh, and then subsequently it will be like an expansion mode for expansion mode of course you need certain amount of execution capability also to to do that at that scale it's like each is an eighty thousand dollar system certain amount of in-house assembly and manufacturing happens integration and then shipment and then training so so you need to scale as an organization Uh, so we'll be looking to scale to a 30 member team uh, uh, early 2022 uh, by by april or so and that will allow us to execute 20 projects uh, or 20 20 performance and also build the pipeline for subsequent year uh, we are uh, dedicatedly targeting uh, uh, the U.S. market as well uh, to accelerate our sale and uh, deployment. Mm. Okay, and what is your current team size? We are an eight-member team right We're now. Eight-member team. Mm. And most of these would be people either who are coding or doing the training or stuff like that, or some people who do the hardware integration. And uh, yeah, so five of us are on tech. So, I mean, we have a. Yeah. So five us, yeah, five, yeah. five of us are on tech. Uh, three of us uh, non-tech. Uh, that includes me. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I qualify myself most of the time as somebody who's not doing the tech. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, like doing the engagement with these potential customers and yeah. yeah. So like until now, I've been doing anything other than tech. equally technical. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I've mean, taken responsibility uh, for anything other than tech. Recently, we hired uh, one of our colleagues from National Instruments who spent ten years of his time at. Uh, to lead our uh, growth and business development uh, uh, from a sales point of view. So I'll uh, I'll kind of have uh, uh, him also uh, support me on that while I focus more on uh, on investments, operations, uh, business executions, and org development. Uh, Google does a bulk of the org development, the technology, and the design and the marketing around uh, what we're building as well. Are you looking to raise a Series A? We are doing a pre-Series A. We should uh, we should announce something uh, soon enough. Uh, so we'll be doing a pre-Series A uh, uh, to uh, to go to market and expand, uh, and then a Series A uh, which will be a larger round towards the end of next year. Awesome. So uh, you know the uh, this Elon Musk talked about the production hell at Tesla, was that something which you guys could have solved for him? We could solve now for him to a certain extent. extent. So possibly the next generation EV manufacturing, that gold rush which is happening in EV manufacturing, that would like be like the, uh, you know, the the wind beneath your wings, so to say, like give you those tailwinds and allow you to really 
scale up probably 100 is too small an ambition then no i i guess there is a lot of investment happening in the ev space and all of those folks would be like perfect customers for you no? yeah 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 so the uh, the function of course i mean we are we're always hopeful for a brighter future than what we have envisioned uh, the function right now uh, gokul i think briefly mentioned as well right like we have absolutely no doubts about the customer demand and the customer requirement the function is on whether we are able to find capital and to grow and, and the investors to see that opportunity investors likely to see that opportunity uh, india is picking up uh, uh, us is uh, leapfrog with respect to the vc ecosystem recognizing that manufacturing is a use case that is worth solving a huge opportunity in it india is still uh, getting there manufacturing is not yet a, uh, manufacturing or manufacturing technologies and automation is not yet a vc uh, capital industry largely driven there by there is often a perception inside this there is a bad reputation that manufacturing has actually built around so one their processes are very slow and they are very uh, obstructive in the way uh, obstructionist attitude is all they have to look at it and the second bad rap that they often get is that uh, in india manufacturing is cheap and people wouldn't automate right often there is an assumption that automation happens because uh, people are buying machinery and they say automation is just by replacing people with machinery right they are buying machinery to replace human labor because human labor has become costly and they go back and say oh human labor is so cheap uh, he is being paid only so much so there is a long time it's going to take for someone to automate right but that's not the reason why anyone automates automation prominently comes only for the point of uh, predictability right i need absolute predictability even if there is an error i need to know where exactly the error is happening when exactly the error is happening so that i can go back and correct predictability of my consistency in my dimension of the product and whatever the accuracy of the product and whatever that they have that is that is also is one portion right in fact when i say precision they will think only that predictability they will think only that precision from a accuracy point of view right there is also process accuracy that they also want that's a major driver for uh, uh, automation right so that understanding and in depth uh, putting their foot into is is a problem and i can also can bl- also blame the vc world because mostly they come from the software industry and associated fields around that or from a finance industry that actually comes right uh, not and often the finance is also not rubbing from manufacturing point of view. it's rubbing from the other world right so banking and other world and other stuff it's also partially a problem with these manufacturing world to come out and then start generating vcs from their side right uh, there might be many L- L- lps but lps don't make this as a thesis to you know as a focus to say hey go i i might prefer investments into the manufacturing side so that that is something that that tailwind has started no i think the the ola ev factory is going to change that hopefully they change the perception and people start looking at them more seriously and uh, they kind of no i mean the the, the proof is already there no in terms of the pre orders that yeah. they have generated and and they are so quickly they are able to put up the factory also so. yeah exactly exactly i i think you know ev that whole ev boom is uh, going to change uh, i i don't see person, yeah, yeah I, i don't see you facing much challenge in raising funds and like you know being even more aggressive in your targets maybe a, a unicorn in 2 3 years time Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. That's the plan. To learn more about Sinlaw, their business and their emerging products, check out sinlaw.com. That's C-Y-N-L-R dot com.
This episode of Founder Thesis Podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. Long Haul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.